everyone, welcome to another episode of Arinda Talks. Today we will talk about book writers and a little bit of Star Trek. Let me introduce you to my f- guest, Paul Watson. Book Rogers is a sci-fi adventure hero and feature comic strip created by Philip Francis Nowland. It first appears in Daily US newspaper on January 7, 1929 and subsequently appearing in the Sunday newspaper, international newspaper, books and multiple media with adaptations including radio in 1932, a serial film and television series and other formats. NASA astronaut William Rogers meets with a freak accident, causing his boy to be frozen body to be frozen in time. Science revive him during a nuclear war in twenty four ninety one, after which he embarks on several adventures. Well guys, let me introduce you to Paul. Hello Paul. Good morning, or good afternoon, I should say. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, and uh, thank you for joining me. Well, it's an honor to be on your show. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about Buck Rogers, and uh, before we start this recording, you already told me a little few things about what you have been encountered with the actors, etc. So, um, yeah, what's... How do you uh, come in interesting in Book Rogers? Well, as I, I think as mentioned before we started the interview, I'm a huge Star Trek fan and grew up on it. And I never watched cartoons. It was just Star Trek, the original series. It went into a lot of reruns after 1972. And then it's what I would call a desert of no science fiction on TV, no live science fiction until about, the early, like 1976, 78 and to 78 when they started up. And I think the most prominent one to me was Battlestar Galactica. And then immediately after that, Buck Rogers in the 24th century came on. Actually, Buck Rogers, 1979. But that was that sustained, I think, a lot of us fans who were really wanting sci-fi, live action sci-fi with good one hour episodic TV and that's all there was. And like Battlestar Galactica was canceled after one year. So you had this short run of a really cool series, then it was off the air. So there was a lot of, I guess there, Hollywood wasn't putting a lot of money and a lot of trust into doing science fiction. So when Buck Rogers came out, that was, you know, that was a great concept. You had time travel, you had, you know, it was, well, time travel, he was asleep for until the 24th century. And a lot of the adventure stories similar that, you know, most of us sci-fi fans were used to. So that, that's what got me hooked on it originally. Okay, nice. Um, so tell the listeners um, what you have been encountered with the actors when you met them on conventions, etc. Because before we started, you already told some things and I was thinking, okay, nice, nice to know. 
Right. I think it was, uh, see, there was a convention in Dallas. It's relatively medium size, not a real large one. It was called the Dallas Comic Show. And they had uh, Ann Lockhart, who was from Battlestar Galactica, was there. Gil Gerard was there, the star of Buck Rogers. And um, I think and Aaron Gray. And Aaron Gray had just gotten through shooting her her scenes in Star Trek Continues with uh, Vic Metagonia, or the Star Trek Continues. And it was also the weekend right after, um, right after, um, oh, sorry, I forget his name. Actually, I don't want to go down that path. That's a, it's a little too depressing. But Ann Lockhart and I were talking, and she introduced me to Aaron Gray. And they sat, we, we probably talked for like an hour and a half at the table because it was not a crowded convention. And uh, Aaron Gray shared a few stories that turned out during Buck Rogers, she basically got divorced and she became a single mom and she started. So she would have to bring her child to the set. And she said, she remembered one scene where, where Gil Gerard's got Felix Silla, you know, who plays Tweaky, got him in his arms and they've got an explosion. Actually, you know, these are live pyrotechnics behind them and they are just running right towards her. And she's standing there holding her little child and they just fall right in front of her. And she's like, my kids never use, she goes, that's the perfect thing to traumatize your child. <laughs> so, but she said the, after the show went off the air, she shared that, you know, she didn't know what she was going to do with her career. She said, I, I took acting. I didn't really have any skills. And she had a meeting. She said, I went and had lunch with Barbara Luna and one other actress. Uh, and she said, I just don't know what I'm going to do. She goes, honey, you should go to the conventions. She said, well, what's, what am I going to do there? She goes, believe me, people are going to want to see you. And so she ended up getting so active in the convention circuit, it brought her an income to raise her, her kids by herself. And then she started her own uh, business where she was an agent for people like Gil Gerard and um, Felix Silla, where they would pay her 10% of their takings when she would organize getting them to the convention making sure they had lunch she goes you know we actors we need to be fed i remember her saying that she goes worst thing you do is go to a convention you're at a table all day you don't get any water don't get any food so she set up kind of like a uh, an age she was like an agent but she didn't take the usual agent fee like 25 percent. she said i just want 10 percent, and she has several actors that that's all she does is book them and you know, organize all of their conventions. And it was just really a motivating story, you know, and then mm -hmm. now Felix Silla and a meeting him was a whole nother thing. I, I was, I was dressed up as a Jedi. It was back probably six years ago when I was at this um, convention that we have in Dallas. That's called it's all con. It's really the conventions more for the, for the cosplayers than it is um, your standard sci-fi convention. But, they had decided to bring in almost the entire cast of Battlestar Galactica and Felix Silla came in to represent, you know, Buck Rogers and he comes in. I think Gil Gerard was there as well. So Felix is wandering around the lobby and he's all mad. And I ran into him and I said, like, can I help you with something? And he's like, I can't find anybody who works at the convention. I'm trying to find the vendor room. I got to set my stuff up. And I was like, well, just follow me. I'll show you. So I took him around all the back hallways and got into the room and, he and he started, you know, getting a little more calmed down. One is mad, and finally one of the one of the handlers came up, and boy, he just chewed them out. <laughs> it was hilarious. I mean, you know, Felix. I mean, he's probably I, I, he's probably maybe 
three and a half feet tall. I mean, he's not real tall, but boy, I'll tell you, when he starts talking to somebody, you'd think he's seven feet tall, you know, because he really that puts is, the. I can relate to that because I'm small as well, so I can relate to that. And uh, I always say, yes, we are small, and sometimes you see, don't see us, but boy, we are there when we are open our mouth. But he was really nice to me. He was very respectful, thanked me for my help and all that. And I, and I think he got it that I was respectful of him. You know, I wasn't like, just didn't ignore him. He was walking. I could tell he was lost and frustrated. And I just walked up to him. I knew it. It took me a second. I was like, I think I know this guy. Because, again, that's the one thing that actors, I think, suffer from. And they also are aware of it when they're in a full costume and their face is not showing and their voice is not coming out it's almost like they feel like anybody can play that role, you know? Mm. So it's difficult for them, but he really made it work. I mean, it was just, you know, and there's a lot of big, like Kenny Baker in star Wars, yeah. he made it work. And I wanted you know, to mention him. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, you know, when you remove the mask and then the actor gets some screen time, that's, that's kind of cool, you know? And, but yeah, he was really nice guy, but that's, that's been my experience with the actors, you know, just in terms of personal I do know Gil Gerard. One, he had a guy come up to the table. I was standing talking to him, and a guy came up and wanted him to sign. He had a record album with all the, the musical scores from Buck Rogers in the 24th century, and he wanted Gil to sign at Buck Rogers. And he goes, my name isn't Buck Rogers. I'm Gil Gerard. If I'm going to autograph something, I'm going to use my name. And him and the guy argued for like five minutes, and I was just sitting there laughing. And finally, the guy goes, okay, just sign it that way. I was I don't get that. I mean, everybody knows that Gil Gerard was Buck Rogers. Mm. So, yeah, so, Sophia's agreeing. She's like, well, you know, I told her that story before. It's like, what is this? And I don't know. Some people are avid fan collectors, but anybody could sign Buck Rogers. But you see Gil Gerard's signature, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's your legal show. signature. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, oh, wow, this is, you know, that that would, to me, raise the value of it. Which I don't even want to get started on that story. I think people who take collectibles to get signatures just to resell them, I just think that's nuts. Mm. I, just talking to an actor, I usually don't ever get their autograph. I'll get their pictures. Sometimes they'll autograph them, but just seeing them and hearing them tell their little stories of all the weird stuff that went on behind the scenes is enough for me. You know, that's that's priceless. So, talking about cosplay, uh, have you ever cosplayed a character from uh, Buck Rogers? Let's see. I don't think I have actually, because it's not, it, I have not, it, again, that's probably just due to, you know, funds and how much stuff I could afford. <laughs> we, I don't think I ever have. I, I was thinking, I, I was talking to somebody, uh, this guy, David Marta, Martino, who's in out of Dallas. He does stuff, everything from back to the future. He's even built, he even built the phone booth from Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. I mean, he loves, I do remember him mentioning try, wanting to get together a group and building something like that at one point. But again, it's it's everybody getting together and having the time, one, to design it, come up with it, and then meeting up. That's that's always been the difficulty with cosplay. And we, we've had that issue with Pathfinder, you know, just getting yeah. people together to do our photo shoots and so forth. But But no, I think if I were to do, if I were to cosplay... I'd probably I, I like Buck Rogers in his dress uniform, the yeah. one that's it's kind of it's black with the gold trim on it. I mean, it's just it's very clean, very sharp. The, 
It really reminds me from uh, the uniform from uh, Star Trek Discovery in the oh, fourth yeah. season. Yeah, it's, it's. I must say, I just started today to watch the series again, and it was super hilarious. I, I of course, I'm, I this is a long time ago I watched Buck Rogers, but it was so hilarious. The whole scenes and 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 Tiki, yeah, I love Tiki, but it's like. Oh yeah. He- it's so funny, but it was so hilarious with some of the... And what you say also, it's it's in the area when um, Battlestar Galactica, the, the original one, uh, was out. And it's, it's in the same sphere, it's in the same... Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, it, and there's not as much... Yeah, and the, yeah, some of the acting one is great, some of the writing one is great, but it was all we had. I mean, literally, and that's why they were so popular. I mean... Said, I think Buck Rogers went from 1979 to 1981. Battlestar Galactica only lasted ni- just for the year of 1978. But, you know, they came back and did a whole reboot of the series, which I thought was fantastic. And there's been talk of them redoing Buck Rogers and doing another Buck Rogers movie. Or yeah, I have series. heard about it too, yeah. I think it's, you know, it, it's... It's all the fans that end up bringing it back because that's that's bottom line is how it happens. Enough people start, you know, there's a buzz about it and they really want to see more of it. But just like Star Trek, I mean, that was the same that happened with Star Trek. It was the fans that brought it back. Yeah. And actually, I don't know, my theory, Star Wars saved Star Trek. People don't realize that. There's all these fans, there's all these factions against it about, you know, saying, oh, you're either a Star Wars fan or a Star Trek fan. You I didn't know anything about Star yeah, but the, when when Star Wars the original came out in 1977, that I didn't even want to go see it. My cousin, she said, "Oh, you got to see this movie. You love Star Trek. You you got to see it." I was blown away. The special effects and the story. Well, so were Paramount executives, and they were thinking on doing a second series of Star Trek. When they saw this, no, we got to do a movie. So it kicked off the movie franchise for Star Trek and saved it. So I mean, that was. They realized they had a they had a, a money machine, and that went on up until the mid nineties. Their movies, and I think two thousand three was when they, when the very last Star Trek movie came out before they started doing the reboot movies with J.J. Uh, Abrams, and then of course all the new series that have popped up. That, but yeah, that was uh, we've had two golden ages of Star Trek. But again, that's fan driven, and it's going to take that for Buck Rogers to get that. It's going to have to be that kind of drive and. Uh, I think people are, you know, I think Star Trek's going to oversaturate the market for at a certain point, and people are going to be craving some other type of sci-fi drama and adventure that's long-lasting. And I think Buck Rogers would probably be the next one, in ter- especially in terms of quality of the series. So if they are going to do a uh, reboot of uh, Buck Rogers, what do you think how the fans will react on that? Well, it depends on who they get to play Buck Rogers. That's always, I've noticed with fans, they're always picky about who plays it. But I think I think they could do a lot with it. I mean, the fact that he's, I thought that was very cutting edge when they had it that he was a shuttle pilot. And he got frozen and just, you know, suspended animation until he, you know, and then was found later in the future. They could probably do something like that, that he goes through a wormhole. Of course, that would kind of steal from Farscape a little. You know, we don't want to. So who knows? But still, a man, a, 
and it could even be a female. They could switch the character to where that could be a nickname. I mean, they, I could see them going all kinds of ways with it. I mean, it could be somebody like, um, you know, Ilana Rogers, but her nickname is Buck. You know how the, the uh, most yeah. pilots in, in the Air Force and Navy, you know, like, you know, Maverick or Goose or something like, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. That's just her nickname. So they could do it like that. And then it's just a person out of time. And then they wake up and, and they have this experience from our century to take to a future that's forgotten some of the key values and key decisions and, and maybe, you know, help save the earth. I mean, that's kind of what they were going with when they started the 1979 Buck Rogers. So they could really, they could do a lot with it. And I really don't think, you know, because it's totally different. The Buck Rogers from 1979 is completely different from the old, what we used to call serial movies that were in the 1930s or 1940s. I, I can't remember which, which year it was, but they were black and white, short, 20, 30 minute films. And they'd show them along with a feature movie in the theater. So you would, each time you go to the theater before the movie you went to see, you'd see a short little episode of a Buck Rogers of Buck Rogers. And it was, you know, I mean, these were, it was very low tech sci-fi. So, I mean, it's, so you go from that to the 1979 Buck Rogers, they're completely different. So there's, I think those fans would probably be a lot more forgiving of a completely different story, a completely different look, even as long as it's kind of got the, the adventures, you know, the same adventurous um, uh, writing that they had in the, in both the prior incarnations of Buck Rogers. So let's talk about uh, the characters in Buck Rogers, starting mm -hmm. with Buck Rogers, of course. Um, what are your thoughts about his character? I love the character. In fact, I use this line all the time because it's my favorite line from the movie. When the, I think it's the Draconians, the Draconian queen captures him and they're at some ball and he walks up and he has them put on some music and he starts kind of dancing and she says, what are you doing? And he says, it's called getting down. Does it scare you? <laughs> I, mean, I was like, I love that. He just pulled that off so well. You know, he was, he was being the club guy and he, and he said, when she asked him what the music was from, he says, it's three dog night, baby. You know I mean? Just, just <laughs> yeah, all yeah. of the little pop culture references. I just thought that was, it, it was just perfect way of bringing a character who's obviously from the, 20th century was now 400 years in the future and you know and it, and it engages the fans because you know that's our time so we can identify with them so i thought they did a good job with that a lot of his uh some a lot of his little one-liners who else is the more to talk about um i think uh i can't remember all the characters that are so you need to help me with that well Erin gray Erin gray who is uh she was a major i cannot remember her 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 the name of her character it just escapes me but um she was more the his voice of reason to try and you know guide him through his new century and then and then of course tweaky and the dr theopolis i think that pretty sure that was his name the in fact, I actually have a friend of mine in Dallas. He's an avid collector. He has a life-size Tweaky with a, the Theopolis, the disc on his chest, and, and it oh, talks and cool. everything. Yeah, it's 
yeah, my friend, he goes all out on his collecting. But it was uh, tweaky in terms of great comic relief because that voice and yeah. that, you know, that I... Wilma, that's right, Wilma. What was her last name? Daring. Wilma. Daring. Wilma Daring, that's right. Yeah. Daring. That's... Yeah, so... I think, but her character, I mean, it was, of course, it's a sign of the time that movie was made. She didn't have as much, she was a supporting actress. And in mm. the 70s, it wasn't, they didn't have as much, you know, as much um, oomph in them, you know. But she did have, you know, they had some good scenes and they had a little bit of a, you know, there was some kind of hinting at a possible romance between the two. You know, they kind of played with that every now and then. But, you know, I think it was... All in all, it was more, you know, they were good, strong colleagues and, you know, they, they'd both be jumping in their fighters at the same time. And which, by the way, was cool. Those were full mock-up props and you don't see a lot of that anymore nowadays. Yeah, true. Yeah. Um, so those were just a little bit of the good side, people. Let's talk about the villains in Buck Rogers. Oh, Michael Sarazen, probably the best villain they had. He's the the emperor and the draconian emperor. And Michael Sarazen, obviously, he in, from the original series of Star Trek, he laid the groundwork for what the Klingons were going to be. And actually, he made two more appearances in not only Deep Space Nine, but in Star Trek Voyager before he passed away. And his voice, oh my gosh, in... He was an I Dream a Genie and obviously married to Barbara Eden. But his voice, I, I tell you, something about his voice was so powerful, so distinctive. I think he he was the best villain in my my book on in Buck Rogers, definitely. Okay. Um so what is it that you really like about Buck Rogers? Not only the fact that in the time that it aired that it was so uh, few sci-fi series or movies. Is there anything think, you... Yes? I think just being the, the time travel, being able to have a chance to go see the future, even though he couldn't go back, it was kind of a one-way trip for him, but that was, a, you know, he went out, he, he was lost, and then ends up waking up and seeing earth 400 years in the future that's a that was kind of cool you know opens up all these and then there's faster than light travel now so that everybody's all about warp drive hyperdrive whatever it's great because you you can actually move to another solar system in a reasonable amount of time so that that was kind of cool i like that okay um so if they are going to make a reboot of it, is there something you like to change or add? Or maybe you're going to say, okay, I love the uh, if the writers are going to um, write a kind of story like this or maybe inspiration from Star Trek or Star Wars. Well, I think they would have to keep it. They need to keep it original. I think they should pull a lot more from where we're at right now in our space program. I mean, let's say, you know, it was a kind of like a miniature version of the space shuttle and in the 
1979 series. What if it's what if he's a pilot working for Elon Musk and he's just happens to get up and there's some kind of anomaly that pulls him off course or, you know, and everybody, you know, he's presumed dead and then he ends up in the future. You know, you could something that really ties it to where we are today. I mean, that's really the best way to open a series. You know, it's got to, people have to relate to it. You have to have a character who's relatable. You know, maybe some flashbacks about his his life on Earth before he went up on a mission that, you know, that he was lost on. And then he shows up and, you know, in the 24th century with all this, you know, the whole universe, the whole galaxy opened up to him. I think, you know, the special effects obviously will be better, you know, but I would hate for them to go to just pure CGI. I like them to do kind of like how the Orville and discovery have gone where they actually have live mock-up props because that was something that was cool about that show you could tell when they were shooting they were shooting against you know actual actual ginormous props and they had sound stages that were hundred thousand square foot warehouses you know they were really they were really doing a lot as much live action shooting with the actors as opposed to a lot of green screen or blue screen and in terms of the stories, I mean, that's just going to depend on the writers. I, I want to be surprised when I go in. I don't want to have something that I can predict in the first five minutes how it's going to end. You know, so it's... Okay. Um, how recognizable has it to be for you, then? How recognizable? Well, I guess, you know, it all depends on... The thing was, if you look at if you look at the Buck Rogers of 1979 and the Buck Rogers that was in was it what was it the 30s or the so maybe the 40s 30s 40s the the old black and white ones they're totally different. There's not a thing that's remotely the same about them. Um, so I don't. I mean, they. I think they could pretty much they could pretty much write their own ticket on that. I don't see anything. I mean. I would love to have a Tweaky back. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. That would be the key right there is to have Tweaky. He might be a little, he might have a little more joint movement, you know, a little more mobility, but part of the way he moved and walked was, was the funniest part of it. Cause he was kind of low tech. If you compare him to, you know, other artificial life forms that have been put out on sci-fi shows, but it just, it pulled it off. It was great. So that that would be the one thing I would love to see carried on in the next movie. Yeah, and, and they I, might even have it where he's like an old, you know, he's an older robot that's been retired, and he just happens to pal with Buck because he finds him at some point, and you know, and they become and he becomes you know friends with this little robot. He's like, well, don't you want a better one? No, no, he's great, you know, and kind of go with that bit. So it kind of ties it to the series from the seventies, but it's obvious that. The artificial life forms have probably developed a little more since the last, you know, the last episode or the last, the last incarnation of Buck Rogers. So in the reboot, you'd have a tie to the, to the original one. And I say the original being 1979. So yeah, it'd be tweaky. I think he'd be the, the key one to keep. Yeah, I think so too. And and that's the same with, for example, um, Mifid from, um, Battlestar Galactica. It's something yes. that it's something also everyone would like and Tweaky is so much as a 
comical note and relief that it has to be in there. Oh, yes, that's exactly definitely great comic relief. Uh, I think that I think that's that would be key to keeping them and maybe the starfighters they had just make them a little update them a little more, but kind of keep that that look that they have. You know, I mean, it's it's just kind of like with the original Speed Racer cartoon and then the movie that they did. They they kind of they changed the Mach 5 a little bit, but not too terribly much, but maybe do that kind of same thing with the uh, starfighters they had. And of course, yeah. the hyper when they enter hyperspace, that's obviously they could make that a lot more, a lot more, get a bigger wow factor, you know, because technology's definitely improved a lot since then on visual effects. What I'm thinking now is, um, do you know how popular Book Rogers is still under people, or uh, what defense? Or is this a big fandom still? I think so. I've been to, let's see, about, when were you living in Livingston? That was 2000. So in 2019, um, I went to Arlington convention and Gil Gerard was there. And he he was probably two tables over from uh, um, Gigi Edgeley from Farscape and yeah, equally long lines as her. So I, I just think looking at that, I mean, Farscape and Buck Rogers seem to have the same draw. So that was, um, and he was there by himself. I don't think there were any other, any other actors from, uh, from Buck Rogers. I just remember him and Gigi both being there at the same time. And yeah, he pulled in a lot of people coming in to see him. And he's also, he also can be kind of grumpy. So it was, <laughs> if he can pull that many people, so that's pretty good. <laughs> well, what I'm wondering too is um, if there are a lot of uh, merchandise of Buck Rogers. Have you? I, wait. Yeah, I haven't seen a lot on it, but then I don't do, I mean, I, my, when I shop for stuff, I'm looking for very specific items and props. So I'm not really good at speaking to that. I haven't, I haven't seen, I mean, right now, I think I talked to one store owner who does a lot of resale of toys and merchandise. And he said the Star Wars is the hugest thing at this point. Of course. Yeah, that's what's been like, oh, so people have just oh got tons of inventory on Star Wars because it's selling so well. But Um, so we know that, um, how about, uh, the story line of the story that has been written for Book Rogers. What is your opinion mm. about that? I mean, I think it was, you know, the movie itself was a, <clears throat> the movie could have stood alone by itself. I mean, guy pulled back, you know, is asleep until the 24th century, gets in a big scrape with this potential invading force and just his own take on, his own tactics that from the, from the 20th century helped turn the tide and stave them off. But after that, it pretty much became an episodic series, just like, you know, Star Trek, you know, it wasn't, there wasn't like a, he wasn't like in a quest for anything. It wasn't one of those shows where, you know, he's searching for something till the very end. It was just, you know, went from one, one standalone episode to the other, you know? So I, I think it was, 
and that's probably why it la that's probably why it lasted a couple of years more than most of the other sci-fi at that time because it was it had a lot of variety you didn't have to watch it from the beginning to understand it you could just jump into whichever episode and keep watching it well what i really have to laugh about was that um the fighting scenes in it it was like it reminded when he was wearing black and and etc i was thinking okay that's that's uh reminds me a lot of um james bond but also yes. his fighting in it you know like classical fight not i'm not talking about uh kirk fu but uh yeah <laughs> kirk fu that's great <laughs> yeah no yeah you're right it was it was kind of a little more toned down but then they were also trying to hit a they were trying to hit a family audience so yeah and i think that's why it's also what i did like about it is that the whole uh yes there were episodic uh futures on it but it was also like that i was thinking okay it's it's a nicer storyline and then it's also like there's a lot of action mm -hmm. and uh of course sci-fi but um it's oh, also yeah. like uh it's not too they're not going too far as in for like you said it's also like um a family um series and i it's exactly like for example with uh doctor who oh yeah it's the same it's the same uh yeah, future thing yeah well do you remember remember mark leonard the actor who played spock's father in the original series yeah i remember he was in an episode of buck rogers and the one thing I remember about it, it was so weird, he was able to detach his head and put it back on. I, I don't know if I'm remembering this right, but I remember that was that really freaked me out. I thought, that is really odd. He was mm. playing an, an ambassador, which was kind of funny because he was Ambassador Sarek in Star Trek, and he's some other kind of ambassador. And he, he had, uh, they had him in quite a wig, if I can remember that, <laughs> quite a curly-haired brown wig. And he did not look, I mean, you could obviously tell it was Mark Leonard, but that was one of the stranger ones that I remember seeing on. So yeah, they, they ran the gamut of, um, you know, serious episodes and some that were real comical and some that were just really, you know, bizarre. <laughs> Do you have any favorite characters in book writers? Yeah, I honestly, it has, I think Tweaky's got to be my favorite character. Always has been too, too many. It, that's that's been my favorite one for, for that show definitely yeah i think uh he's loved by a many yeah and i'm just glad the guy's still around he's still doing the convention circuits so that's and one story someone told me one of his handlers said that uh if you get him and gil gerard sitting next to each other they both are on opposite sides of the U.S. political spectrum, and they just go at each other constantly. They're good friends, but they, it's, they pick on each other. It's, like, it's more of an entertainment just watching those two guys in the same room than it is hearing about the show, from what I've heard. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, well, I think a lot of fans sometimes forget that uh, a lot of fans see them as the character in one right. of the fandoms and not as uh, a person who has their own 
political sides of uh, their own opinions, etc. And I think fans in particular are forgetting that sometimes. Well, and if you notice, I, I think the importance of that is that a lot of times the actors' true personalities and the way they get along actually comes out in their characters really well. I mean, that's, you know, if they... If they're if they're good friends and they get along and they joke with each other, then it's a lot easier for them to work together, you know. And I mean, there's numerous examples of that. I mean, the whole Star Trek: The Next Generation cast—they were all theater theater actors—and between every take, they were joking around, singing, dancing. They actually had the director for the first season quit because he didn't want to deal with them. He didn't like it. He was too much of an old school. Do as I say. Be on your mark and. I mean, Marina Sirtis, I remember her saying, I w- we were always on our mark. And then she turned over to Michael Dorn and said, Dorney will forget his lines, but he would be on his mark ready. So, <laughs> and then in Deep Space Nine, the Armin Shimmerman, the one who played Quark, he brought all the characters, the second, like the supporting characters, over to his house for dinner every night, and they would rehearse their scenes. Yeah, Which is, yeah. the writers were like, you know, those are the, when you build those kind of personal relationships, you do a better job. I mean, that's just the way it is in any company. When people work together good and they click together and then go out and have a, you know, socialize and then go to work, they work, they make a better team. So, yeah, yeah remember, their personal lives do help. I remember in uh, one of the interviews of TNG that Patrick Stewart was the same as the uh, director. He wanted to uh, be uh, serious and do Columbia and Joy. And it was the, I think it was um, Jonathan Frakes. And he was the worst of them all. I know that. <laughs> more, more, he liked to goof off the most. You know? Yeah. Still, yeah. because if you if you watch the docu- uh, behind the scenes from Discovery that he is uh, directing, everyone is saying if the if you put him and and some of the cast members from TNG together, it's you can't work because they have shenanigans after shenanigans, and oh, yeah. they are yeah they 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 just going back in time and just tell you stories when they were. And TNG. Yeah, they really, yeah, I think that that was really strong. I think Marina Sirtis, when she had been in a Q&A, she said they finally brought Patrick Stewart around within the first yeah. season. You know, it was, but, but, oh, she did make a comment that after Deep Space Nine came on the air, she said all of her, all of the crew, the grips, the cameramen, all, they went over to work on Deep Space Nine and they got a new crew. So she would walk over to the Deep Space Nine set to say hi to all her former friends working there. And they would just be like, oh, so glad to see you. And because it was a much, she called it Deep Sleep Nine. She said it was so serious. She said Avery Brooks kept, he ran a tight ship. He was so professional. There was no goofing off middle. She said it was like a mausoleum over there. She said it was so scary. and So she'd go over there and just shake it up and then, you know, Come they go glad- to the TNG yeah, so set to rewind. Yeah, so she, yeah, that was because those two shows ran for a few years in tandem. Yeah, and so sound stages that were literally next door to each other. Yeah, and of course, uh, there are some of the characters from TNG who transferred over to Deep Space Nine. Oh yeah, and you know, I honestly in the. The actors, their personal lives is what drives them to get into new episodes. I mean, like Erin Gray, all of what she did is 
as that major daring on on Buck Rogers got her into back into Star Trek. Yeah. Colonel, Colonel. She was a major, I think, at first when the movie came out. Yes. Okay. So. Yeah, so I got corrected. She said, no, it's Colonel Deering. I was like, yeah, but it was major in the movie, and I'm thinking the movie. <laughs> uh, that's funny. That's actually, now it just popped in my head. That's the same thing they did with Major Kira in Deep Space Nine. For all six years, she's major, and then she gets promoted to Colonel right in the last season. Yeah. It's like, come on, why don't you give us a promotion a little earlier, you know? Well, I think that's the same thing with uh, Harry Kim or Fernando. Oh, Anson. I was just thinking that. What do you think she said? Harry Kim. She brought up Harry. Harry. Oh, yeah. Yes, he was the poor Harry Kim. Yeah, that was. Yeah. And that actor that personally offended him. He's I don't think to this day he doesn't talk about that, you know, and his going to the writers. What the heck? (laughs) Do you and this story, guys, is a little bit of off topic now, but uh, have you ever have you ever Listen to his, uh, Garrett Wangs and Robin Duncan Menu's podcast, The Delta Flyers. No, I haven't. I, I'll have you to look that haven't? up. You haven't? Oh, you're missing a lot. <laughs> but I will have also... to check that out because I know, I know Sophia would love that. I mean, that's her, she is her, she's biggest Voyager fan. And so, you know, yeah, we'll, have to, we'll have to check that out. The fun part is, is that they, yeah, they're doing it together, but they, watching re-watching every week an episode in quality mm-hmm. following and oh, wow. but because they have filmed it they have a lot of ins and outs from when they filmed it mm-hmm. so oh, it is yeah. very it's very nice to hear also the backstories around it and what they were thinking and etc and they have they have a funny part of uh, um making haikus and lyrics for the episode <laughs> oh that's great well that's that i think i think after the show has had such a long run seven years even if it's three years four years those actors they have the opportunity to just do the convention circuit indefinitely because there's always such a strong fan base for any series that gets a following that you know that's and I think that goes the same for, you know, not only Star Trek, but Buck Rogers, you know, and um, Babylon 5. I know Bruce Boxleiter was at a convention I went to a couple of years ago. And um, next to him was the guy who played um, Gary Mitchell on the original Star Trek series. I can't care duly. I cannot pronounce his. No, Gary Lockwood. That's his name, Gary Lockwood. And, you know, so he he still has a huge fan following. I mean, he did one episode of star Trek, but then he did the movie 2001 space odyssey. And I asked him, I said, why didn't you stick in star Trek? He says, well, I had a TV series I didn't know about. And then I had a movie deal. He says, it was a question of economics. <laughs> I was like, well, well, too bad. He said, your character would have been pretty cool. But, um, <laughs> but so- he's still doing the convention circuit. And I, I think people that, stuck with the original Star Trek. Obviously, you know, Leonard Nimoy and George Takei is still just reaping lots of benefits from Star Trek. I think even way more than one movie deal would get you. I mean, he's written books. He's, you know, toured the convention circuit. And, you know, that's... And, um, so, if you, if a uh, teenager 
people would walk up to you and uh, you have to tell him about Buck Rogers or uh, advise him what kind of uh, what is so good about Buck Rogers. Um, what would you tell them? I would say, you know, somebody who's been raised on all this new science fiction and types of action, I'd say you got to put yourself back in time. Remember, this is really old and don't set your expectations on special effects. Listen more to the storyline and, you know, think about, you know, look at it from the story itself and put yourself in the shoes of the character as opposed to trying to be wowed by it. Because again, you know, if you watch the original movie, I mean, it's, it's not, it's low tech compared to today's productions. So it's, I mean, but the thing is, uh, there are kid, there are people, I mean, there's, I know an 11 year old who loves the original Star Trek series and loves the original Star Trek cartoon. It's, you never know. I mean, people fall in love with something. They're going to, they're going to pursue it no matter what the special effects are. But if they've seen one and they love it and say, should I keep watching it? I'd say, Hey, you know, as long as it entertains you and it's speaking to you, just keep pressing on. Yeah. I remember when I started with Star Trek, I started with TNG. And when in the first episode, they separated the saucer and the battle bridge, that was Mm -hmm. the thing that, Got me hooked on Star Trek. Oh, it got you hooked on that Enterprise D too, I bet. (laughs) Yeah, 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 it is. I always said uh, the Enterprise D and Count Picard are my first uh, Star Trek introduction. So they always have a special uh, place in my heart. So, um, yeah, but I can recognize that, 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 yeah, so... You can hook by something that is very small or not even in all the high tech what we have nowadays. That's and true. I think, and and that's what I was talking. I talked with that with my mom about that last week. Um, I was uh, watching with my nieces. Um, what was it? What of the kind? I thought it was about the new Winnie the Pooh like CG character, etc., And it mm-hmm. didn't look that I was saying, I was saying to my mom, I'm pitifying my nieces because this is not how I know it. And mm-hmm. I want to go back to the nostalgic one, like in the 60s, 70s, 80s, mm-hmm. when they draw it like 2D, if <laughs> I can say yes, like that. Yes. So, yeah, it. I think it's it's, but it still have a high entertainment value. Oh yes, and a lot of the a, a lot of good science fiction. It's a way to tell stories and make people think about things. I, I, there's a, I guess a good example. It, I think a line, my favorite line. I can't quote it exactly, but it was an episode of Star Trek Voyager called "The Muse." That's probably my favorite episode of any sci-fi series. And it was about, uh, you'd have to look it up and go see it, but it basically, Bolana Torres crashes on a planet that's basically at the Iron Age. And an actor, a writer, finds her, and he's he ad- ends up accessing the computer's 
per the the personal logs, even the and he starts writing the story of Voyager, and his whole point for writing was to try and sway the 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 feudal lord that ran their village not to go to war. And he said sometimes words can change a person. Words they hear and stories can maybe make the difference between going to war and not going to war. And I thought that it, that, that brings me to tears every time I see that episode because it is so prophetic of what art is. Art can imitate life, but art can also influence life. Mm. And I think there's, I think writers and all of us who deal with science fiction and what we do with Pathfinder and stuff is we really want to set a, a shining example of a great future for humanity. I think if you don't keep that hope up, there's no, you've got to always keep that shining star ahead to, to reach for, to bring hope to people. And we've had people come up to us at conventions and, tell us that they love what we're doing. They love the positiveness and how accepted they are when they come to our booth. And we, you know, go through the whole routine with them and get them on camera. And it's just, it, it makes it, it, it's fulfilling to us, but it's also fulfilling to the fans. And it, and, and it kind of keeps that, keeps that dream of life that one day, you know, humanity is going to reach the stars. We're going to be a unified species out in space. You know, we're not going to be, fighting amongst ourselves, you know, we'll grow past prejudice. We'll go, you know, grow, go grow past, you know, greed and all that. I mean, that, that, that's a, that's a great dream for a utopian future. So I think that's the one thing, the best thing about sci-fi is that it provides that area to write about that kind of stuff and bring that kind of hope to people. Yeah, indeed. Um, so I think we, are closing to the end of the episode. Is there something you'd like to add? Okay. Oh, no, for me? No, I think, I, I think I've already definitely said my feel, and I have enjoyed it. It's been an honor, and thank you so much for inviting me on, this, on your show. And um, Yeah, and... it was nice to talk to you, too. Thank you for joining me. And uh, who knows, in the future soon, we have another lovely conversation about another subject that we both love. Oh. And I think about Star Trek, we always can <laughs> talk about Oh, yeah, we can always come there. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to seeing when you finish the Enterprise D, that big... The, oh, Paul, it's going to be a disaster. I don't know if you have heard about it, but Eagle Moss is bankrupt. Oh, no, yes, I did hear that. I hear and, that. So... Um, well, there are... There are companies who are looking into it to buy it because there is a, a company in japan who has all the blueprints of it so if they are getting all those uh permissions and get all the uh, um claims that they can do it they but there are they are telling that uh they will uh, bring out the parts so that you can finish it Oh, so you didn't you didn't get all the parts yet? Oh, I'm so no, sorry. But that, I didn't know that. No, it, oh, it is like um, they went to issue twenty twenty one, and there are like thirty thirty one issues. So wow. we're almost there, and it was about two three months four months ago that uh, the whole shenanigans stopped, and nobody was nobody didn't wow. know everything and then it came out okay we're going to have an administrator for everything because uh we are 
more or less bankrupt and uh, mm. and you could see that they couldn't handle the uh, question of people that they really wanted to build the enterprise but they have more uh, they have more projects like uh, the bus of 18 uh, the Millennium Falcon um, Wow uh, they got kids mm. from uh, the Knight Rider so it's been a real big big issue how that all came to work and well we are waiting now for four months five months already to hear mm. some more things and and well it's it's going slow but okay uh we were saying okay we don't care about who is taking over the only thing what we want to do is build it off and yeah, finish it yeah finish it yeah because yeah like i said it's it's a huge one and there even there are even companies who are making a smaller one but i was saying yeah and there were also people who are offering well if you can't finish it there's also a if you put everything uh break everything up you can build a some kind of like a uh starbase one of it oh, of it. oh yeah so modified yeah modified yeah so yeah. uh but yeah we were saying okay we really love it the original and we really like to build finish the build and it's ouch it's really ouch. oh i know i'll bet i know i went into i was in a store in cincinnati and it's called the toy store and and, and it was very close to the branch for my company that i was out doing an audit on and i went in the store and i got two XL Eagle Moss models for $40 each. And they normally oh, wow. run, they, they only, they normally run $80. Yeah. And they just said, yeah, nobody wants them. I got a Voyager, which is great because Pathfinder is an intrepid class starship. And mm -hmm. I got the original series constitution class. So that was a great find. So I, I, now every time I go to a different city, I'm checking out the nearest sci-fi stores because yeah. they're, they're, they're just clearing these Eagle Mosses out. Yeah. That that's true. It, it's it's. An, I don't want to say it's a disaster, but uh, and you see it on online as well. People are selling it now because it's they can have big box of, of out of it now because they yeah. don't make it anymore. Yep, yeah, I know that's that happens. That sounds like the you know this is a that's the story of any business through time. Like what was the the Etzel? If you look up the Etzel, the car back in the nineteen fifties. It's a one one hit wonder, and then it didn't work, and people were left with a the junker they couldn't drive. <laughs> and and then now there's collectors who want to build them because they were so they were so bad they became popular. So you never yeah. know things. The, the thing about collectors, they're really fickle. They may collect something because it's horrible, or even because it's unfinished. That yeah, in and of yeah. itself could be a selling point one day so never throw it away no 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 <laughs> yeah. no we yeah. uh, we even thinking of if they not going to bring the parts out maybe we can uh figure out something to 3d print it or whatever because yeah. yeah we really like to finish it and especially because oh my god it's heavy you I'll don't want to know it's I'll really bet. heavy. It's all diecast metal. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, but yeah, it, it's 
something we always looked forward to it, especially my uh, fiance. He uh, he's the builder. <laughs> and I was saying, <laughs> okay, babe, we need to do this because I want the Enterprise D, and he knows that I really love the Enterprise D. So he said, okay, we're going to do it, and then uh, this problem hits. But okay. Well, you know, team, as they say, teamwork makes the dream work. So you'll figure <laughs> <Yeah>. it out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. But Paul, thank you once again. And uh, I will talk to you soon. Okay, sounds good. Thank you very much. And y'all have a great day and live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. Dear listeners, thank you for listening. And join me in two weeks for a new episode of Arenda Talks. The episode we're talking about is Robocop. You can listen, subscribe, and comment to Arena Talks on the YouTube channel or join the Facebook group. I also like to tell you about my two other podcasts called Girls Talking Track and Arena's book club Smooth Jazz, Tea, and Books. Girls Talking Track is a podcast hosted by two female trackers who will recap every two weeks an episode of Star Trek, starting with TNG. All the episodes will be recapped and chronically following. Girls Talking Track is also to listen, follow and subscribe on Anchor, Google Podcast, Spotify, Amazon Music or on your favorite podcast app. We also have a Facebook group and a YouTube channel. Every 10th episode will be a video episode, so you guys can see us when we talk about the episode. If you like to comment on the episode or talk with us about the Star Trek episode we just recapped, you can reach out on the Facebook group or the YouTube channel. Book Orenda's Book Club, Smooth Jazz, Tea and Books It's a podcast that will discuss books of all genres, except for thrillers and horror. I don't like to read those. My perfect picture while reading a book is in front of the fireplace, loads of tea and smooches in the background. If you like to discuss with me or us the books we are reading, you can do that on the Facebook group or the YouTube channel. I also like to organize live readings and live book discussions events. So join me reading with me and discuss with me the books we are reading. I will see you in two weeks.